Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks again for uh, joining with us this evening from the lifeboat. You're very, very welcome. And uh, I'm sure, uh, like if you're like me, you'll be looking forward to getting back to church, getting back to the, the prayer meeting on the Thursday night. But we are where we are. So trust that you'll enjoy um, our, our time together this evening and enjoy um, the teaching from God's word. So we're going to turn tonight to Second Timothy and the chapter 2. Paul's second epistle to Timothy and the chapter 2. And we're going to begin our reading from verse 14. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and he certainly does, folks. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for your hand upon us, Lord, over these past days. Uh, Father, we thank you for watching over us, for keeping us safe. And we thank you, Lord, for this another Thursday night, normally, Lord, and we would be at the lifeboat tonight uh, under the sound of your word and able to meet together to, to pray. But Lord, at the moment, that's not possible. Uh, but Lord, we just pray that you'll meet with us in our own homes this evening and bless us from your precious word. We thank you, Lord, that you are everywhere. And uh, we don't uh, particularly need to go to a place of worship to meet with you. We can meet with you even in our own homes. And Lord, we pray that even tonight we will meet with you afresh around your precious word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. When Paul wrote this second uh, letter to Timothy, he had been free for about five years, but now he has been rearrested, possibly in Corinth, and now he's been sent to Rome, where he was imprisoned in a dungeon. Paul said in verse 9 that he was chained up like a criminal, but the word of God was not chained. And in many ways, you know, when we think about it, we have been 
almost under house arrest for, for many, many weeks now because of COVID-19. But because of modern technology, the word of God has not been chained, nor will it be. Paul's only contact with the outside world around this time was just a hole about 18 inches square in the ceiling of his cell. And through that hole passed everything, and I mean everything, including what we have read here this evening. Paul knew his days on earth were drawing to a close. He knew they were numbered. He knew that very, very soon he would be with Christ, which is far, far better. So he uses this letter to encourage Timothy in the faith. In chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, Now, Timothy, when I'm gone, don't you go all watery on me now, Timothy. There is enough watery preachers without any more. In chapter 2, verse 3, Paul motivates Timothy to keep on going and to endure hardness as a good soldier or a good servant of Jesus Christ. In the verses that we have read, Paul warns Timothy of trouble both inside and outside the church, and he gives him some sound advice on how to conduct himself and why he should conduct himself in this manner. You see, it's very, very easy to grow impatient and frustrated at the lack of concern within the lost for their souls. But, you know, we've got to remember that the Bible tells us that sinners are blind. And this is something the Christian needs to bear in mind every time we attempt to witness to them. Just like blind Bartimaeus, sinners cannot see. And just like Bartimaeus, sinners will never be able to see until Jesus Christ comes into their lives to give them their spiritual sight. Imagine you were out for a for, for your permitted daily walk in the town and you see a blind man crossing a street and just as he gets to the other side, he trips up and he falls over the curb. And then imagine you see some stranger running over to him, but instead of the stranger helping him up and making sure he's okay, the stranger just looks at him and he says, Watch where you're going, blind man. Well, you would think at the very least, that that was a very unfair thing to say, totally unreasonable, because after all, the poor man is blind. The same principle applies to our lost friends and family and strangers that we might meet and witness to on the street. You see, spiritual sight is beyond their ability. I was blind for many years. I was a sinner dead in sin, and I simply could not see what the saints of God could see. Remember what the scripture says. When Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said this, except a man be born again, he cannot, he cannot what? What can he not do? Well, Jesus says he cannot see the kingdom of God. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second epistle, he said, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil. So what does he do? Well, he hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, thus what we share, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And in Paul's first letter uh, to the Corinthians, he said, But the natural man, again, that's the blind sinner, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them. So you see, the unconverted man or woman cannot see what the saints of God can see. Paul, in reference to the unconverted, wrote to the Ephesians and he said, having the understanding darkened, 
being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. I wonder, are you beginning to, to, to get the picture here, believer? Don't be too hard on the lost because you were once blind as well and you couldn't do anything about it until the gospel was given to you until, until the, the, the grace of God opened your eyes. Wonder, have you ever wondered why the most intelligent men and women find it so, so difficult to, difficult to see the simplicity of God's salvation plan? In 2 Timothy 3 verse 7 it says, They are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, friends, it is because they are spiritually blind. And no amount of education or universities or even degrees will remove that spiritual blindness. So with that in mind tonight, I want us to look briefly here this evening at verses 24 through to 26. Look at how Paul describes the attitude that we are to have toward poor, blinded sinners. Because just as it is unreasonable to be impatient with a blind man or woman... It is equally unreasonable to be impatient with a poor, lost, wandering soul. And that is why God is long-suffering. So here Paul is on death row, but he is not writing a, a day-by-day account of his own misery and, and his struggle to survive in these harsh conditions. He's not even devoting much space here to doctrine because he's already done that in the previous letters. No, in this letter, he is giving some personal advice here to Timothy on on courage and personal integrity and in these verses a method on, on how best to share the greatest news on earth and I think it is particularly useful and relevant to those of us who do take to the streets with the word of God to obey the great commission so first of all we see here according to Paul how to share the gospel. Verses 24 and 25. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, in the previous uh, verse, in verse 23, we are encourage, he encourages us not to get involved in strife with those that we seek to win. Why would he do that? Well, because as we have seen, they are blinded to the truth. So no amount of friction or discord or conflict between the saint and the sinner is going to help that condition. Verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive. In fact, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would not strive. And Jesus repeated the words of Isaiah in Matthew 12 when he said, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased, he shall not strive. Instead, Paul persuades us to be people of peace who do not set out to cause division. He tells us to avoid possible strife by giving us four assets the soul winner should possess. So don't tell people what they can't do until you're able to tell them what they should do, which is a much better alternative. And in the same way, don't tell people to avoid putting their trust in their religion unless in the same breath you're going to tell them to trust in the Redeemer. 
which is a by far much, much more and better alternative. Here Paul gives us the alternatives to causing strife. First of all, he says we are to show kindness. We are to be gentle with all men. You know, people may forget many things about you, but one thing they will never forget, and that is your kindness. Paul said to the Romans, if it is possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. When on street evangelism, you're to do your best to preserve the peace and to appease the anger of others. So do not begin a quarrel. Others may oppose us and persecute us. They will certainly hate us. They will hate our faith and our beliefs and our God and our Bible. They may even slander us, revile us and assault us. But Paul says to the Romans, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. At the end of the day, we are not answerable for their actions, but we certainly are answerable to our own words and our own actions and being a representative of Jesus Christ on the street is a huge responsibility which we must take very seriously. It has been rightly said, never argue with a fool because someone watching might not even be able to tell the difference. So as we share the gospel, we must be kind and gentle to those who will oppose us. There is no point in winning an argument with a soul today if you end up losing that same soul forever. It is not our job to convince him with brilliant arguments, but it is our job to simply share the truth. Paul said to speak the truth in love so that the lovely Lord Jesus Christ will be seen in our word and our actions and God will bring them to repentance. But at the end of the day, we're still to preach the truth and like it or not, the truth will offend and the truth will I've seen some TV preachers or preachers on YouTube recently and, and they attack other other men who are actually displaying these same attributes in their in their ministry. And these YouTube preachers are, are so angry and obnoxious. If it were possible, they would even put me off the gospel. Never mind some poor blinded lost sinner. If you can't encourage a brother or a sister who is serving the Lord on the streets. Friend, it would be better if you just kept your mouth shut. I've had people come up to me on the street when on outreach and doing open air work and they've come up and they've whispered words of encouragement in my ear. They've offered me refreshments. They've even offered to take part in the outreach. And you know, it really, really is inspiring. And it inspires you just to keep on going. So friend, be that type of Christian that encourages. Being gentle to all men is also being an example to all men. Because what you are telling sinners is this. This is who I am now. This is what Christ has turned me into. Before I would have argued with you and I would have fought with you. But now old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. Now I love you friend and I care deeply for your soul. You're showing the world that you are living the Christianity that you preach. Paul says we're also to be qualified. You know, every Christian has been called to go out into the world and preach the gospel. 
But in order to be effective, we must be qualified to teach. In fact, the verse here says, after able to teach. In the Greek, it means to be skilled in teaching. One of the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 is to have the ability to teach skillfully. A young man starting out on an apprenticeship, whether he's going to be a joiner or a plumber or electrician, he will spend a number of years with a professional tradesman learning from his experiences. Timothy had done that with Paul when he joined him for his second missionary journey. No one becomes a professional on his or her first day on the job. Even a young footballer, no matter how skillful, no matter how good he is, he spends his first days, the first days of his career, cleaning and polishing the boots of his hearers or his heroes. A British soldier, he will spend his first six months in, in basic training. But at the end of the day, it's still only basic. And he will spend the next 22 years of his army career sharpening those skills and learning new ones. And, you know, that's why we as Christian soldiers must be in the word every single day to keep our God-given gifts and talents sharpened. In fact, every day should be a school day for the Christian worker. If I didn't read over the Ten Commandments now and again, I would get confused. I would start to get them in the wrong order. I might even forget one or two. And, you know, friend, you'll be of absolutely no use to God if you don't know the basics. And evangelism must start with the moral law. The law brings people to the point of seeing that they have sinned against a holy God and that his wrath abides on them. It causes them to see that their own goodness cannot save them. And it prepares their hearts for the good news, the good news of the gospel. Those who are opposed to the truth must be taught the truth. And we can only do that if we are in the truth ourselves. It is not enough to expose and refute error. We must also be able to replace it by teaching positive truths. There's no point spending ages learning about the errors of Mormonism if the very next day you're on the street and you're, you're witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness. First of all, you must be skillful in your own truth, which is the word of God. There are no shortcuts to scripture knowledge. We must get into the word and learn the scriptures and it is never too late to start. Moses wasn't called until he was 80. And look what God was able to accomplish through him. Paul says we're also here to be patient. We are to endure with patience whatever comes our way. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Yes, we could ignore the hecklers at an open air meeting, but that would just mean giving them over and leaving them to Satan. We are to avoid arguments, but at the same time, we're not to ignore people. Our job is not to win arguments. Our job, however, is to win souls. So let people have their say and listen to their point of view. Most of the time, their beliefs, which are built on sinking sand, only gives you unlimited amounts of ammunition to fire back at them. We are also to be patient with backsliders or even weaker, weaker brethren in the church. Not everyone, you see, has got it all together. Not everyone has got that joy, joy, joy down in their heart. Maybe you're listening tonight and you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
And not everyone is living the, per the perfect Christian life. Why is that? Well, because we are not living in the new Jerusalem yet. People do have marriage problems. People do have issues with children and grandchildren. They have financial worries. And we don't know what people are really struggling with. We don't know what people are dealing with on a daily basis. Maybe they have secret addictions. And every time they slip up, they feel like completely giving up. So be patient with people. And just remember how patient God was with you and with me and how many chances he still gives us every single day. If you want a lesson on how patient and tolerable and merciful God is, well then just look some, at some of the MLAs we have in Stormont. Some of them have committed murder. Some of them have attempted to commit murder. Some of them supported and justified that murder and some of them still applaud it to this day. And even after all these years, God still has not cut them down. They still have an opportunity to repent of their sins. What an amazing God we have. There is no one like him. So be like the Lord and show a little patience with sinners and with the saints. Just because someone says to you at the church door on a Sunday morning that they're doing okay, you know, folks, it doesn't always mean that they're doing okay. Doesn't always. Some brothers and sisters do get it tough. And, you know, some sinners would love to be in your shoes, but they simply see no way out of their present circumstances. So, folks, we need to be patient. You cannot force anyone to be a Christian anyway, so don't think that you can. So we need to give them a break. Let them know that you're always there if they need you. That you're willing to share their burden like Jesus. And be like Jesus who was a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But otherwise be patient. Be patient and pray for them. We're also here encouraged to display meekness. Again, we are to correct those who oppose the truth with gentleness. The reason why people oppose and hate the truth is because the truth opposes them and hates their sinful lifestyle, which they love. They have invented in their own minds a God to suit themselves, a God who will be okay with their sin. But of course, that is idolatry. And we're told in the Bible that no idolater will enter the kingdom of God. They have invented their own rules of faith and practice and they will understandably zealously defend their own personal made-up religion. Such people may be self-convinced, but sadly at the same time they are self-condemned. They are ignorant of God's truth, and so they need to be instructed in God's truth, but in a manner that is tender and gentle, and in a sp uh, sp spirit of love. The Lord described himself as meek and lowly in heart, and this is how he dealt with folk like the woman at the well and the woman that was caught in adultery. He instructed those women through meekness. He said, go and sin no more. And of course, he shared the truth in love. They were only doing what they were doing because of their spiritual blindness. If you're like me, and then no doubt occasionally you will look back at the old life that you had when you were up to your neck in sin. And if you're like me, you'll probably cringe at the things that you got up to and wish that you could turn the clock back. But the reality is, of course, none of us can. But we did those things because we were blind. 
So we sinners who are now saved by the grace of God above all people should be the most understanding of those who are still up to their necks in sin because they are still blind, still lost and still don't see their greatest need, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to tell us why we should share the gospel in this way. Verse 25, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So God will grant sinners repentance and lead them to the knowledge of the truth. We share the gospel so that sinners will have a change of mind upon conviction. They will issue a confession from the heart and they will acknowledge the truth they once vigorously opposed. Repentance, of course, is a gift from God to the spiritually blind. God alone can open the minds of, or open the eyes of the blind and work conviction in the heart and mind and lead poor, desperate, lost souls into all the truth. I can remember many years ago in our Ireland, when he was only three years of age, we, we lost him uh, on the 13th of July in Scarva. And if you've ever been to Scarva Day, you'll know that looking for a three-year-old child in that crowd is like looking for a needle in a haystack. I must confess I didn't show much patience that day. However, eventually we did find him. He was leaning over a fence watching the go-karts going round and round and round and round. And he hadn't got a care in the world. And you know, folks, sinners are often like that. They are so blind and dead spiritually that they just don't realize that they're lost. They surround themselves with the treasures of this world and the hustle and the bustle of life and so many other distractions, keeping themselves busy. But they don't have a thought or care for what is beyond this world. Another reason for patience is that repentance is not in the power of men. So if you find yourself losing patience with a sinner who refuses to repent, well, you're kind of losing patience with God because conversion is in God's perfect timing. God alone will grant him repentance, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. It is our job to sow and to water the seed of the gospel, but only God can cause the increase. Salvation is of the Lord. And then thirdly and finally, we see here the outcome of repenting and believing the gospel. Paul says in verse 26 that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So sinners are hostages to Satan blindly doing their master's will. But when we share the gospel and God grants them grace to repent and believe, two things will take place. They come to their senses. Verse 26 says, they recover themselves. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He was smelling of pig dung and lightly covered in his own vomit. We are simply told that one day he came to himself. In other words, he came to his senses. Something happened in that young man's life to cause him to come to his spiritual senses. He had no doubt heard the gospel as a child growing up, but when he became a teenager, he rejected the gospel and off he ran to the far country, desiring the pig's food over fellowship with his father. All his dad could do at home was pray and be patient, 
And then one day God stepped into that young man's life. He came to his senses and he came home to his father. There may be someone listening right now tonight and you're in the far country. You're actually choosing, desiring to eat the pig's food. The drink, the drugs, the sleeping around instead of being at home enjoying fellowship with your heavenly father. If that's the case, friend, you need to come home. You must come home. Parents, if you have a son or a daughter in the far country at the moment, then I would encourage you just to keep on praying because God can do a miracle in their lives that you or I simply cannot do. The word recover, it describes a man coming out of a drunken stupor. You know, Satan makes people drunk with his lies. If you're in the far country at the moment, it's because you're drunk on the lies of Satan. You simply believe what he tells you. But be aware of this tonight, friend. Be aware. The Christians in your life that really do care for you, they're coming after you in prayer. They're coming after you in prayer. We are coming after you with the truth of God's word. You know, I was growing up, I loved the, the cowboy and Indian films. And in the films, you know, a, a drunk man with a hangover was sobered up very quickly with a good, strong mug of black coffee. As servants of God, it is our job to sober you up with a good dose of God's truth so that you can be rescued. Friend, Jesus Christ is the only saviour of the world. Saviour means rescuer. And friend, he will rescue you if you call on him. Do you remember the day, Christian, when you got sobered up? When you stopped believing the lies of the devil and started to believe the truth of God's word? Do you remember that day when you came to your spiritual senses? I remember that day. And you know what a great day it is when God steps into a prodigal's life and a sinner comes to their spiritual senses. Why is it a great day? Well, because that was the day of the great escape. When we escaped the snare of the devil. We were delivered out of the snare of the devil, you see. He had took us captive to do his evil will. But then we were set free to do the will of God. I wonder, dear listener, this evening, have you come to your spiritual senses? Are you doing the will of God? Or maybe you're just still a captive, still a slave to sin and to Satan, still blinded to the reality of your standing before a holy and a righteous God. One day in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus read from the book of Isaiah something that referred to himself. And it's recorded in Luke 4 and verse 18. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives. wonder is the devil holding you captive tonight, friend? Has the devil got a grip on your life at the moment through the drink or through the drugs or through the pornography? Has he got you in a state of depression and misery and fear and he will not let you go? Yes, indeed, he is a mighty enemy, but here's the thing. Jesus Christ is almighty. 
and the devil is no match for him. Jesus has conquered death and hell. He has paid your fine and full friend. That's what the cross was all about. He has paid your fine and full. It is finished. And he can set you free in a heartbeat. How do I know that he can set you free? Because he set me free. And what he did for me, he will do for you. And tonight Jesus says to you, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, the Lord is patiently waiting for you to come to him. He will strip you of your spiritual blindness. And you will begin to see things that you were never able to see before. Peter says this, the Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, God's spirit will not always strive with man. And time is running out. So friend, please come to the Saviour and make no delay whilst you still have time to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for uh, Paul's great advice on how to uh, conduct ourselves uh, when witnessing to folk that we meet and why we should do that and the, and, the, and the results of doing that. We thank you, Lord, that we're still in the day of grace. And so, Father, we pray as Christians tonight that you'll, Lord, motivate us to, 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 to prepare ourselves to, to get out there and, and reach the lost when all this COVID-19 dies down. And just help us, Lord, to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ in whatever time we have left here on earth. Because whether saint or sinner, time is running out for us all. And it's only what we do for Christ will last. And if there's anyone listening tonight, Lord, and they're still in their sins, still maybe a prodigal in the far country, Lord, we pray that tonight you'll bring them to their, their spiritual sen senses and bring them home to the Father's house. Save them by thy grace. Make them a child of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And Father, we just pray you'll continue to remember us as a lifeboat fellowship. Bless us, Lord, whilst we're uh, apart at this time. And we pray for our pastor, Bertie, and his wife, Pat, and his family. Uh, we pray for those that are listening in tonight that don't belong to us. Uh, but Lord, um, when all this dies down, Lord, we pray that they, they'll feel very welcome to come along to our meetings on a Sunday. Thank you, Lord, again for your precious word. Thank you for this time together. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Folks, thank you very much again for joining with us this evening. Uh, remember, of course, uh, the broadcasts as they continue. The next one will be at 11 a.m on Sunday morning and you'll be very welcome to tune in. Thank you.